morning, everybody. Youth, have a great time. Enjoy yourselves. Here we are. You all right? Oh, very good. Uh, good. If you have a Bible, please turn in it to Ephesians chapter 6. And whilst you're doing that, can I say, uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, it was a great week. If you were, wasn't Roger Cole great? Um, I've known Roger Cole for many years, and I thought, in fact, Roger Cole is the only man with whom I've ever shared a bed. <laughs> we, were, we were in Nepal and staying in a, what was labelled as an eco-lodge, but was basically a very thin wooden hut with gaps uh, between the planks, and the temperature outside was freezing. And I have to say, say he spent the whole night nicking the duvet. <laughs> and of course, we, you know, we were not for cuddling up to one another. So uh, <laughs> there we are. Um, in all those years, I've never heard Roger speak as clearly and with as much impact as he did last week. So if you weren't here last week, I'd really encourage you to listen again online. And you'll find that to be a blessing. Um, what I'm planning to do this morning is to follow on from Roger, not that I really can in his style, but whereas he took us to a passage of the Old Testament last week, to Joshua chapter 1, and drew out the points that God spoke to Joshua saying, be sure, be instructed, and be successful. We're going to look at this passage in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, and draw out the same kind of points, but with reference to Christ and what he's done for us. Um, I've got as my title here, Slip Into God's Strength. Slip Into God's Strength. I'll explain more of that in just a minute, but I believe that this particular passage is spot on as we look ahead to le- uh, launching the turning this week and for all who are involved in that. But I want to say it's equally important and equally relevant to those who won't be involved in that this week. Whatever your week holds coming up, this passage is for you. So let's read together, and I'm going to start off not reading all the way to the end, but to verse 17. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know we are at war. We are at war. It's not a question of whether or not we will engage in spiritual battle. It's not as if there is a place for Christians to stand in peace without any kind of tussle. And then should we wish to do so one day to engage in a spiritual battle? No. We are at war. The question is whether we are prepared, whether we're engaged, whether we're active, and whether we're seeing victory. Not whether there's a fight, but whether we are winning or losing, or perhaps are so used to losing that we've forgotten that there's any fight to be had. But there is a battle, and we're in it. The forces that we fight are not other people. There are forces in the world that the Scripture describes as anti-Christ. They are against Christ. There are rulers, authorities, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that are anti-Christ, with whom we are at war. Now, the Bible does not tell us a huge amount about these spiritual forces. It doesn't give us a rundown of what's going on in all of those heavenly realms with a sort of blow-by-blow account of the different forces and how they work. It seems like, actually, we don't need to know much about them in order to defeat them. And instead of giving us some catalogue of understanding of those spiritual forces and rulers and authorities, God simply equips us for the fight, gives us what we need, gives us the strength, and gives us the power. One of the ways that the Bible describes God equipping us is that he clothes us. In fact, God loves to clothe us. Uh, There's a whole number of verses here. The first one comes from straight after the war first broke out. Right back there in Genesis 3, the first thing that God does for Adam and Eve after they've been expelled from Eden and into the fight is he clothes them to protect them because he cares for them. Isaiah 61 Isaiah was able to say, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. In Ezekiel 16, it's God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, who says of his people, I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen, and I covered you with costly garments. This is what God loves to do. In the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, when the son returns to the father, what does he say? Well, amongst other things, he says, bring the best robe, put it on him. And the command that comes to the early church, the first disciples, after Jesus has gone to heaven, is wait in the city until you have been clothed. 
Wait in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit. It says here in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then in verse 11, in the translation I was reading, the New International Version, it says, put on the full armor of God. As I was digging into this and looking at some other translations, I don't know if any of yours say this, but one way that the, is perhaps a little bit more accurately translated was slip into, which is why I had that as my title, slip into the armor of God. We, when we talk about slipping into clothes, it's usually about slipping into something more comfortable. It's an, it's an easy thing. It's, about, it's, it's not about us having to steal ourselves and do a hard thing, put on a tight collar or something else that's constraining. We can slip into something more comfortable. And God wants us to slip into the provision that he's made for us. He wants us to slip into the armor that he has for us. There's an ease in it. Here's a question. Will you allow God to dress you? Will you allow God to dress you? Will you let him put on you what he wants you to wear? Bev can control very easily what I wear. She selects from amongst my clothes and puts them on the top of the pile in the drawer. And that's about it, Rick, because I don't exercise a lot of judgment of my own. It's not, I'm not blaming her. Um, <laughs> what's in the drawer is my responsibility. But huh. will you allow God to choose what you'll wear? Will you let him determine what you're clothed in rather than choosing it simply for yourself? Because here in these verses, we have a list of the kind of wardrobe that God has planned for you, the kind of things that he would like to see you wearing. It's a picture of a Roman soldier, the full armor. There was something called the panoply, the full armor of a Roman soldier, which had these various different items that Paul lists. There's a belt of truth. The Roman soldier's belt literally held all their clothing in place, physically kept it in place. It was what prevented wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> Without it, there was a kind of vulnerable feeling of potential exposure, but the belt kept things in place. It provided security. God wants us to experience that feeling of security. He wants to clothe us with a belt of truth. He wants to clothe us with truth. He wants us to be girded up with truth so that we would feel secure. This truth is living in the light. He wants us to live in the light so that we would be secure. And that living in the light comes in two different ways. There's living in the truth of who God is. We live in reality. We live in touch with reality rather than in some kind of delusional mode. If we live in touch with what he's revealed, oh, there's a wonderful security in that. So we're living in reality. We're not going to get surprised when reality suddenly creeps up on us because we're already living according to it. And living in the light also speaks of us living openly, 
of allowing the light to shine on us, of not living in the dark, not living with things hidden, not, hitting, hit, not living with secret shame that we worry might one day be seen and, and in being exposed embarrass us like a wardrobe malfunction. God wants us to have a belt of truth for our lives to be clothed in truth. And in that, there is joy and there is security. No fear of things suddenly falling apart or of us being ashamed. This means being the same person wherever we go. This means that we're living in the same reality and living with the same openness in all areas of life. There's not a different me when I'm with my family to when I'm with my work colleagues. There's not a different me when I'm at church compared to when I'm shopping. It's me. Belt of truth. Living in reality and living openly. It's a wonderful way to live. It's a wonderful way to live. So much peace. So much simplicity and security. And God wants to clothe us. He wants to come and to buckle it onto us and for us to live in truth. There's a breastplate which is described as righteousness. And righteousness is a wonderful word. It means that we are free from condemnation. We've been declared not guilty from whatever we have done. God chooses to forgive us and to declare us innocent. And as well as that, it's a statement of our being accepted by God, brought in amongst his people and made his own. For God to place his righteousness upon us is like him putting an arm around us and calling us friend. To wear a breastplate of righteousness is to say that we can walk with him day by day in close friendship with no fear of being rejected by him because he loves us. And he wants us to walk in that security. He wants us to be confident in his love for us and his provision for our forgiveness. There's a breastplate of righteousness. There are boots of readiness. You know, um, I don't know if any of the others of you have made a mistake I once did of buying shoes that looked great on the upper, but underneath, and I thought I was being quite sophisticated, but, you know, just completely um, smooth leather soles underneath. They make a really good kind of clacking noise if you're walking on a hard surface, which can make you feel more important, and that's nice. Um, But the problem is, if there's any kind of slipperiness of any kind anywhere, you feel incredibly insecure. And um, having occasionally tried to walk to a a meeting in London, trying to feel like I was kind of somebody and important, but with shoes that have got no grip whatsoever on icy pavements. I mean, it's just an error of judgment. There's a kind of... It's just... The Roman boots that soldiers wore, the sandals that they had, were deliberately studded on the foot so that they would, in all different terrain, have a firm footing. They could put their foot somewhere and know that it would remain until they chose to move it. There would be no sliding around. And that kind of boot meant that they were ready for action. 
They weren't trying to steady themselves. They were good to go. They could be on the front foot at a moment's notice. That's what God wants for us. And you see all those three different things, truth, righteousness, readiness, they're all about security. They're all about God providing us with things that make us secure, knowing that we live in reality, knowing that God embraces us, knowing that as we stand on his word, he will keep our feet from sliding. God wants us to be secure. He wants to clothe us in such a way that we'll be secure. But there's more. There's a shield of faith. Roman soldiers had some different kinds of shields for different purposes. The one that's described here is the big one, like that guy has got, not designed for hand combat, but a big one designed for when people were firing arrows at you, and especially with made of material that was non-incendiary, so that if people fired flaming arrows at you, you could still defend yourself. That's what Paul is writing about here. A shield designed to guard against arrows. And the truth is, there are diabolical arrows that come at us. There are thoughts, this is how we experience it, there are thoughts that come suddenly into our minds without us seeking them out. They're not something we looked for. They're definitely not an inspiration from heaven. But they've been sent at us And find a lodging place in our thinking out of nowhere. And they come in all sorts. Uh, You will have experienced many of these things. False guilt. Suddenly out of nowhere. Whether I've done something wrong or not, I feel awful about myself. Out of nowhere. Fear. It's just suddenly there in a moment. Someone says something that's not really frightening. But fear, it's like boom. It's there. Despair coming upon us suddenly like a black cloud or anger when it just it just wasn't there two seconds ago and it's like a flaming dart has come and landed and inflamed me in a moment these are arrows of the enemy sometimes lust you know you're just praying or at least trying to and just out of nowhere suddenly your mind's there's lustful thoughts in your mind. It's like, I was trying to pray to Jesus. It's like, it's an arrow has come. It's come to destroy something good that God had planned. Doubts, having been walking along through life, trusting God, suddenly there's like a forcefulness of doubt that comes in that was never there before, just in a moment. These and other things besides are the flaming arrows that are sent by the evil one, as the scripture here says. You know, the solution to every single one is to trust God. The solution to every single one is to trust God. When there is a false accusation that is brought against me, or maybe a true statement that comes to mind of something I've done wrong, but a sense of guilt that is out of keeping with Christ's sacrifice for us, that I can trust that I'm forgiven. I can trust that I am forgiven. When despair comes, I can trust that God has a good 
plan. I can trust him. When doubts come, I can trust God not to deceive me. That when I ask him to lead me in his ways, then he will. I can trust him. He's not leading me up a garden path. He's leading me in truth. And whatever kind of desires I may have, I can trust God to satisfy me. Scripture says in any number of places that God will satisfy our desires with good things. I can trust God to satisfy me. This is a shield of faith, trusting God. And then we have, oh, there we go, faith. We have a helmet. Um, It says here, a helmet of salvation. You may not know, that phrase is a quote from Isaiah 59 and verse 17. In that verse, actually two of the elements of this armor are named as actually being worn by God himself. The breastplate of righteousness was another one. And here, the helmet of salvation, it says it's worn by God. That's really cool. What he's clothing us with is his own wardrobe. That's really cool. In the Old Testament, that word salvation particularly meant victory over evil or winning over wickedness. And as Paul is quoting from the prophet Isaiah with this phrase, a helmet of salvation, I'd like to suggest to you that we do well to see that this is a helmet of God's winning ways. Last week, Roger's third point to us after being sure and being instructed was be successful. And he said to us, you know, God wants us to be successful. God wants us, we could also say, to win. Jesus wants to clothe us with security, that earlier part of the armor. He wants us to be well defended, but he also wants us to win to clothe us with winning. When Donald Trump promised in his presidential campaign that there would be so much winning, so much, so, so much winning, I think most Europeans shuddered at the thought. And not just at the thought of Americans winning, but just at the whole, the whole focus on, on winning is so not European. It's not really even a British thing. It's like a European thing. There are historical reasons for that. But you know what? God is determined to win. He's determined to win. The end of the story, as I'm sure you know, is that Jesus wins. That's how the story ends. And the story is going to keep going until there's victory overall. That's how it goes. So that is the story within which our lives are lived. God wants his church to win. This is different to saying that God wants Britain to win. Or, you know, it's not like, it's his global people. It's not pitting one nation against another. Remember the war, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not even a war against other religions or ideologies. It's a war against wickedness. And a war against evil in all of its forms in the heavenly realms. God wants us to win. I wonder, will you let God dress you? Will you let 
God dress you? Will you let him put on to you what he wants you to wear? He wants you to be secure. He wants you to be well defended. He wants you to win. Will you let him? The last little bit of this says, along with the helmet of salvation, the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Paul says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And he says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For that gospel, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Here, at the end of this passage, we come to something different. The first piece of attacking equipment. God's got all the rest of this equipment for us. Here's the first bit of attacking equipment. The sword is the word of God. And Paul springs from that into saying, pray for me. Pray that I'd use that sword. I've got the sword. I know the gospel. Pray that I'd use it. Pray that I'd be fearless. It's about speaking for God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And that word of God, it's the whole of the scriptures. Any bit that you take and use in your praying, in your speaking, is God's sword at work, the sword of the Spirit. Here, though, Paul does have a focus on what he calls the gospel, this good news, the particular announcement of the fact that Jesus died and is risen, and that through him all people are called to repentance and may know him and live with him forever. Be saved by what he has done. At the turning training on the next few mornings, what's going to happen every morning um, is that everybody who turns up is going to be handed, if you will, a very agile little sword, which is a script. It's some words. It's actually the word of God. Most of it is straightforwardly from the Bible, uh, just quoted and that is a little sword, an agile little sword, that has already seen a great number of victories. But uh, although that's, that's true, and I wanted to name that, as I prepared for this morning, I felt God drawing me back, not to start talking about the gospel, though I'd love to, but to focus on the rest of this armor, the armor that makes us secure, and the armor that leaves us well and defended. Because no sane person is going to pick up a sword unless they've first been clothed in armor. I think, my history on this is maybe not as sharp as it could be, but I think someone who picks up a sword without any armor is called a berserker. Yeah, just cut. Uh, or nutter, possibly. <laughs> and praise God, there are some such people amongst us who will charge into battle and just trying to trust it's all going to work out somehow. Well, there's a trust in there. That's part of the armor that God provides us with. Um, the question for all of us for this week, I believe, is will we allow God to clothe us with what he wants? Will we let him take up, uh, put on us what 
what he wants. Once we have uh, all of these, <laughs> these different things, a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, a shield of faith, boots of renown. Once we've got those things on, it's no great challenge picking up a sword and we can walk with courage and confidence into whatever battles await us. But will we let God clothe us? This clothing that takes place happens as we spend time fixing our eyes on Jesus, listening to him, waiting upon him. I read already from Acts chapter 1 where the promise was given, wait in the city until I clothe you with power from on high. Wait in the city until I clothe you with power from on high. That's why we've got a whole bundle of evening times of worship and waiting on God. Well, we want to worship him because he's worthy, but we know that as we wait upon him, he clothes us. He clothes us with his power, where it says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's not about us girding up our own loins. It's about saying, God, here I am, clothe me. Clothe me with your power. Clothe me with your strength. Make me secure. Take away my fear. Remind me how you satisfy every one of my needs and protect me. And grant me faith to trust you in everything as every attack comes against me. As we wait on God, he will come. He will reveal truth to our hearts and bring to our minds the sins that we need to confess. He will put on us a belt of truth. As we wait on God, he will embrace us, um, attach to us a breastplate of righteousness. As we wait on God, he will remind us of Christ's words on which we can firmly stand so that we are secure and ready to move forward. As we wait on God, he'll send the Holy Spirit to remind us of the Father's love. Communicate that to our spirits so that we trust him. And the shield of faith is right there. As we wait on him, he will anoint us with the Holy Spirit who knows no way to fight except the ways that win. That's why we've got a series of waiting meetings the next few evenings. The main response I'm hoping for from having looked at this passage of scripture and having shared this with you is to see you a lot more in the coming week. Uh, my prayer, my hope, the thing I am shooting for in sharing this message this morning is that you'll be back tonight. If not tonight, then tomorrow. And then there's Tuesday. And there's Wednesday and there's Thursday and there's Friday. And they are times for us to wait on God until we are clothed in his power. You know, I've tried to go out on the streets and share a message about Jesus with people without having taken that time and found myself overcome by fear and tongue-tied. I found the same to be true in the days before I was working for the church and my days, like most of yours, consisted of going to a workplace surrounded by people who didn't know Jesus, I found the same true there, too. If I didn't spend any time in God's presence, I'd turn up to work full of fear, 
and tongue-tied. But when I've been clothed with power, when I had waited upon him, everything changed. I found I could speak for God fearlessly. I found that the life I knew I was always meant to live was now mine in Christ. question is, this week, especially this week, will you give God time in which to clothe you?